All right, if you guys could choose a background that worked for yourself and made sense for you as a person, what would you choose? From the existing ones or make your own? I mean, you could make your own if you want to, but mm. there's a lot of existing ones. There are a lot of existing ones. Yeah. Adam, you got something off the top of your head? I mean, probably Sage. Yeah? Yeah, that seems that fits. absolutely reasonable. Right, like that's sure. that's my jam mostly. Yeah. I don't want soldier. I don't want sailor. No. I'm not going to be a good acolyte. I was like, going to say, the acolyte would probably be mine. <laughs> so you're, you're I'm the acolyte, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm choosing hermit, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we, it's we, the most tempting <laughs> of the offerings. Yeah, we, we, we know, Megan. Thank you. Yeah. That's how I live my life. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome back to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Today, we're continuing our discussion on player options in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Brad, and this episode is called Bringing the Backgrounds to the Foreground. In this episode of the It's Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be looking at over 85 examples of backgrounds, Determining what's worth your time and ultimately figuring out how you should build your own background. Have you ever known anyone to actually build their own background? Like the player's handbook suggests, right? There's a whole setup for it. Yeah. Or do you just always choose or all your players always choose the ones that are pre-written for them? I always like start with pre-written ones. And then if I need to make adjustments based on something that's like character forward, then I'll add it. But I, I like using them as a base, if that makes sense. Yeah. I never build backgrounds. Nope. No. Everybody at my table will mention it during character creation and never, never again. again. Yeah. I always right? forget so, them what my background is. And I, I would love to dig into them, but I don't want to be like, hey, we've been playing now for a year. What's your background again? Yeah. Right? right? So <laughs> yeah. I feel like background often gets overwhelmed by backstory, right? Everyone yeah. focuses on their backstory and the background is just a stat block. Yeah, or sometimes the background like prompts what their yes, backstory sure. is, and then their backstory overshadows the Absolutely. background. I find that everybody wants to, like, you should be building your background around your backstory. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter as much as whatever you have in mind for the playable race, or sure. the subclass, or yeah. whatever. So people pick it based on usually what skill proficiencies they get. Yep. And that's it. Have you ever read the feature portion? Yes, I have. <laughs> Megan? I learned a thing or two today reading, <laughs> reading some backgrounds and be like, oh, that's a neat little feature. And it's nothing like no, game-breaking in any way, shape, or form. But sometimes I'm like, that would have been neat. You but know? if you want to do that tiny little bit of min-maxing, oh boy. It's available. Have a chance yeah. Yeah. And people just overlook it. Even min-maxers seem to overlook it. It is wild. We complain that this is a combat-heavy system. Yeah. And all of the rules are geared towards combat. And then we get the backgrounds. Which literally have a massive mechanic built in with the features for role playing specifically. Yes. Yeah. And nobody ever fucking no, looks at them. No, right? they don't touch so, them. Which is insane. Like, before we get into this, dear Dungeon Masters, go mine your players' backgrounds. There's shit there. All right, before we uh, dig into anything more, let's uh, check out an info break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. 
If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic podcast, Roman and Megan sit down to discuss what the five rings actually mean in Legend of the Five Rings tomorrow. Thursday sees Dave and I travel to Waterdeep for legend lore to go over the pros and cons of what we find in Dragon Heist. And Friday rounds out the week with another episode of Bring Out Your Undead. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Alright, so when we're talking about backgrounds today, there there are... You said 85. I know for a fact there are well over 110. Oh, yeah. There are lots that are in the Adventure League stuff and the Plane Shift stuff. And there are some customizable ones that, like, it's only listed as one of them for Eberron. But I think there's 13 that change slightly depending on which house you're in. That's the thing. So my, I think this is part of its problem is that so many of them overlap. Or are so indistinguishable from one another that people feel overwhelmed and they just say, screw it, I'm picking Hermit. Yeah. Or I'm picking, you know, Dark One or something like that. They get into a lot of the, uh, like, setting-specific bits and pieces yeah. as as you dig into those settings. But there are lots of general ones out there. And so, I don't know about you guys, I looked at every single one of them. I spent about an afternoon going through them all going, all right, is there one in this book? Ah, I found two. Okay, is one in this book? Nope. What about this one? Shit, the seven. Right? Like, yeah. Um, and it's there's no rhyme or reason. There's no. it, completely random which books you're going to find it in, right? Yeah. So. Most campaign settings will have one, but not all of them. Yeah. Most of the, you know... The adventure paths. Adventure paths will have, have one, but one they don't always two. do. No, they don't always. So. Yeah. Anyway. All those settings definitely have them, though. That's one spot you can pretty much guarantee yourself to find some. Yeah. So we're going to mostly look at deconstructing, selecting, and creating backgrounds. But what we're really doing is looking at the existing ones that are out there. And we're going to say, hey, this is a good jumping off point. Think about these as, as the examples and how to build your own, right? The cardinal rule is do what makes sense for your character within the guidelines. Mm. So there's a breakdown of uh, background rules in the player's handbook. Obviously, that's where you find it. And it says essentially... You'll get one feature that you can replace uh, with any other feature, and that's mostly what we're going to be talking about today is, is the features that you get. Makes sense. Um, but you always get tool uh, two skill proficiencies, two tool proficiencies, or languages, and some starting equipment. And you can choose to spend some money on gearing up instead, but if you do this, you also forfeit your class-based starting gear. Yes, that means that spellcasters lose whatever focus that they've got. Yeah. So... It really, really strongly suggests that you just take the starting package. Yeah. However, you can mix and match. You can grab from this background to be that background. And that is really how you probably should do it so that you're not forfeiting. Yeah, your, your you don't want to give that up. You... Yeah. So, like I said, there's features, but we'll talk about those in the future. Uh, there's personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws that come with almost every single background that's available. This is part of the character building the, uh, the backstory. That's kind of what we meant before. Like, this is mm -hmm. where you should be starting your character off. Most people look at it, like I said, for the skills. Whenever I use a background, I go hunting through the personality traits. I was going to say, flaws. this is the piece I always use. Is yeah. the, fe the features, the flaws, 
that's where I get more out of it than the rest of it. And if I don't like it, I can change bits and pieces of it. Right? Oh, absolutely. But I will take the same kind of general idea or flavor or whatnot. Like, if I am if I want to play a criminal character, I'll look at the criminal ones and say, mm, it's got me 85% of the way yeah. there, but it gave me the inspiration to do this. And then I clear it with my DM. Yeah. yeah. The, the number of characters I've built simply from looking through those charts and saying, hold on a second, I've got an idea for a character that I can build around this one yeah. flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Honestly, what I have to say is, as far as personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, you choose what feels right for you, the player, and feel free to flip around whatever books you want in order to see example backgrounds, Uh, and we're going to give you kind of the list of what those books are here in a minute. But I looked at the skill proficiencies, and I'm like, okay, which ones are actually worthwhile and which ones are garbage pants? So, (laughs) for, for new players, here's kind of the math that I broke down. Remember, it matters most with your gameplay and what's going to be fun for you. If everything's fun and you've played a number of of games before, maybe look at, hey, what is our party missing? Mm -hmm. And then look for that. But again, you can, it's recommended if you double up on on skill proficiencies, just change one. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, well, I started looking at it by class first. And immediately I took Bard out of the equation because they can be proficient in fucking everything. So um, that also means they can fill in the gaps in the party makeup sure. with their class. So the background for, for skill proficiencies doesn't matter as much until you start thinking, oh, I'm going to get expertise later on. So maybe I want to be a bard that's just like weirdly fucking good at history or weirdly good at medicine or something that they normally wouldn't One of the things have. you know nobody else in your party is going to have. Yeah. It's going to come in clutch. So when you look at your party makeup, the most popular skills that exist out there are perception, investigation, and insight. You can guarantee that everybody's going to have at least one of those. You know probably what? Probably two. Investigation, I mean, I guess I'm used to playing with so many people who play charismatic characters. Almost nobody at any of my tables ever has investigation. All of my characters. Uh, not Megan. Well, you Everybody play Dan. Has... No, I play blind. <laughs> <laughs> between, between... I go in with a strong heart. Yeah. <laughs> my parties are always perception is way up there. Investigation, nobody's got it. Dan, Casey, and Charlie, they know that if they had just rolled better, mm-hmm. they would have found the, the clue. Yeah. And they and it is blown up in their faces enough time that investigation is on the list. Also, no one likes to get duped by an NPC, so insight. Insight, of course, right? yeah. Then stealth, acrobatics, and athletics. Normally stealth because, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but acrobatics and athletics tend to be, well, Megan knows, they're the grapple ones. You want to be good at one of them so you can break a fucking grapple. I yeah. hate it. Gotta get out. <laughs> this um, is why I move everything into that, so that I'm really <laughs> stupid, but never grappled. <laughs> the other ones that I see less frequently, but regularly, are Arcana, Intimidation, and Survival. Mm-hmm. These are ones more so than Persuasion, or Medicine, mm-hmm. or or any of the other knowledges out there. These are the ones that people tend to, to grasp onto. The least popular skills, the ones that I have seen the rarest have been medicine, nature, and religion. And if they've ended up on the, on someone's skill list, it's because, well, I didn't know what else to take. And I didn't yeah, it was in the there. Yeah. And the other options I had were already covered by my race or yeah. by my yeah. background. So you can be pretty sure that animal handling, history, performance, and sleight of hand will be picked up by specific classes or subclasses, but otherwise they're going to be unpopular as well. Which makes sense, right? They're very specific to your character. I will always take animal handling. It, it's my third tier. Yeah. If, yeah. if it's available by the time I'm doing... Mm-hmm. Can't see shit, but that horse is going to be my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so when I'm, if I'm going to be doing an online game where I'm in a party and I don't know anybody else, I can be pretty sure which ones they're going to want to play and which ones they're not going to pick up. And maybe having somebody that's good at medicine, animal handling, performance, and sleight of hand, that might just fucking shock people and come in clutch when you least expect it. Mm -hmm. But then I went and I looked at which one are the rarest skills for a class to pick up. Mm. You cannot find performance anywhere except on the bard and rogue skill list. That Hard sort of makes sense. The only one I would consider giving it to would maybe be the monk. Hey, man, paladins, dude. They're charismatic characters. Artificer. They've got to build shit. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess your cleric, too, I guess, if yeah. you're going to go down that way. Sleight of hand is artificer, bard, and rogue only. Mm. And remember, bard doesn't really count because they get everything, right? Yeah. And then stealth is ranger, bard, and rogue only. I feel like that kind of fits because sometimes in other role-playing games, those kinds of skills are like... like Frowned upon or forbidden to use. Again, so monk seems like class. a slam dunk for all of those, though, right? Yes and no, because like a monk, what, what technically in your brain, what do you use sleight of hand for? Usually for thiefing or being sneaky, what have you. Or monks performance. have like a well, but monks have like a, a code I, to not be a twat. I use sleight of hand as well, just for simply being like I, dexterous. If you want to be able to handle something well, I use sleight of hand even for tying knots. Yeah. I, I know it's that survival, it's, it should but... be survival. Yeah. But I, I find that sleight of hand makes just as much sense. I will give my players it's, the choice on it's that one. Dex as opposed to wisdom, which I like. And yeah. chances are they don't have a whole lot of, of points into it, yeah. which means their modifier is going to be lower and that rope is more likely to slip, <laughs> which makes for interesting encounters. I, I love the idea that if you're using sleight of hand to tie a knot, that the only reason it would come undone is because you literally fumbled the bag. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do with your knowledge. Yeah. You, just no, like, you just screwed it up. You fluffed it up, guy. <laughs> it's not that you didn't know what a knot was. It's just that you couldn't do it. <laughs> I could tie my shoes, but for some reason this eluded me. <laughs> I also think that stealth should be on Barbarian. Because yeah. when you think about Conan... He, moving quietly through the bush. That was his whole fucking deal, Absolutely. right? It's like it was, a predator thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're looking to fill in the blanks and pick up these rare skill proficiencies with a previously built background... You can just grab the urchin background from the player's handbook and pick up sleight of hand and stealth. So any urchin, no matter the class, can pick that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an alternative urchin stat block in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus uh, that also gives you sleight of hand and stealth. And if you want performance and sleight of hand, you need to pick up Wild Beyond the Witchlight and look at the Witchlight hand background. If you want both performance and stealth, you got to make it yourself. Yeah, it's one of the only combinations across some. Over a hundred backgrounds that does not exist. That's wild. Tool proficiencies and languages are really a gamble in 5th edition because we don't run into a lot of languages and Comprehend Languages is really cheap yeah. and really early. And right? tongues too. If yeah. if you don't go that way, you somebody's probably got tongues or Comprehend Languages. Yeah, so there are ways to communicate and it doesn't take much to find a translator. Most DMs are not going to... I, I will play puzzles sometimes. Sure. We had a great thing with lizard folk. Yeah. Where nobody could speak lizard folk until Megan's character started to slowly learn it. Nice. I was like, fuck That's this, I'm awesome. going to learn this language. Yeah. Fantastic. And so now there's very rudimentary, but like it comes with all their weird custom shit as yep. well. So like it, it's really fun because they were drawing maps and slabs of meat and shit and then eating the meat afterwards. Right. And, so now there goes your map. Yeah, yeah. So Perfect. So when you look at tool proficiencies... We don't think about what I want to be good at, like being sneaky and stuff. We think about what do you always want to be fucking good at that yeah. a tool or a kit is going to give you. Yeah. Like, I always want to be good at unlocking 
Sure. Right? Even if you don't have sleight of hand and it calls for sleight of hand, you can say, can I use my thieves tools? Thieves tools, yeah. And, they'll, and your DM will say, yeah, sure, go ahead. And you'll still get a bump with that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of your work. you've got things like brewer, brewer supplies and carpentry supplies and mason supplies. Like, sure, they're niche, but there will be an occasion where it'll come in super handy. And there's not necessarily a single skill that's tied to it. No. Right? Yeah. So doesn't matter what you're good at on paper, you're proficient with these tools. That's right. Yeah. I remember, like, when we do skill check things Mm in-game, like, so when you're trying to move through a combat or move through something really quickly, and instead of doing the actual combat, you do skill checks. Like, let's say we did a pirate campaign where the boat was being, like, like, uh, attacked. Yeah. And so the the goal was to not only have this battle, but also make sure that the ship was being attacked. So how do you do that? You do that with skill checks. Having sure. a carpentry kit Absolutely. will help if you've already used all your other roles. Yeah, our, right? our artificer came in fucking close. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. So when it comes to languages, I mean, you pick up Giant when you're in Storm King's Thunder. You pick up Undercommon when you're in sure. the Abyss. Yeah. Right? But other than that, look at your party makeup. If you know that you've got a Gith Yankee, you don't need to pick up Gith. If you know there's a Dragonborn, you don't need to pick up Draconic. But In our pirate campaign, literally everyone except for one player... For some reason, speaks primordial. Not sure why we didn't discuss it as a team. Everyone just picked primordial as their language. That's happened to us with giant, but we also had what I think it's even our current campaign where for a while no one could speak Elvish. Yeah, for the first time yeah. ever in my existence. We've got a bit of that. We have the campaign. We have yeah. one person who can speak <laughs> Dorvish, which normally is the one that most people pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I I wish that languages were based on your intelligence. Yeah. Right. For every Pathfinder point. style. Yeah. Well, 3.5 style. Did 3.5 do as well? There you go. So, when it comes to starting equipment and gear and whatnot, make sure you pick up the necessary adventure gear, instruments, gaming sets, kits, tools, pets, or mounts. And these will come, these will get listed with your your background, right? Yeah. Um, But pick up the ones that are essential to your character's story and purpose. If it goes beyond the norm, talk to your DM and see if you can get special permission to just have your ancestral this or your family that. Or As a DM, I rarely say no unless you're clearly trying to metagame me or power game me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going like, to say yes to your plus three sword or no. whatever. But if you want a lantern because your guy doesn't have dark vision yeah. and you're the only one in the group. Of course, I'm going to And I'm afraid of the dark. Yeah, and, and that bitch a lamp. Though, <laughs> although <laughs> our traveler, so I've been moving yeah. throughout the wilderness for years. Now, yeah. depend on your setting. Do not give your players a spyglass. It seems innocuous. That thing's worth a thousand damn gold pieces. Yeah, they'll catch And they will there. try and sell it. I had a player just do that to me last session. (laughs) He's like, uh, they were just shopping in town. I said, you know what? I'm not going to, don't worry about counting gold. If you're picking up just common supplies, just take them. I don't care. Yeah. He's like, can I get a spyglass? I went, hell no, you can't have a spyglass. I know what it's worth. I think it would have been hilarious if you just said yes. And if you tried to sell it, you'd have the person like tap it and be like, I'm sorry, but the lens is made of plastic. Yeah. You never even tried to use it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I really like the idea of. Of the spyglass being, you guys, you've seen Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves with yes, Kevin Costner, yeah, 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 right, where where Morgan Freeman looks at the yep. spyglass and Kevin Costner, Robin has never <laughs> seen this before, mm-hmm. yeah. right, and it's not technically wizardry. You can cast identify on it. There's nothing, nothing there. It's you not can magical. just see distance. I like, nope, this is witchcraft, mm-hmm. and we break it. Now no one has it. Yeah, don't Perfect. try to sell your spyglass. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> So that's uh, that's kind of a breakdown of what a background has to offer and kind of where you should be looking at it, but it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. However, some of them get really niche and really specific and, and they're all over the place. Yeah. I mean, so let's talk a little bit about where to find them then. 
because uh, we kind of talked about how to make them, where they come from, so on and so what have you, but where can you find these guys? So if you're going to use backgrounds to mix and match a specific one for yourself, or you're looking for templates and ideas, there are a lot of places to find backgrounds. So obviously the first one, first and foremost, Player's Handbook has the basics. There are 13 basic backgrounds in the PHB, but some also have variants, which people don't kind yeah. of notice. Like if you're flipping through, you're like, oh, there's only like, it doesn't seem like a lot. There's like a dozen or something like that in the base player's handbook. The, the, yeah, there's, there's 13, but there's actually like 18 or 19. Yeah, yeah. when you actually look Break deeper. it down, right? Because like for criminal, there's the variant for being a spy, for being an entertainer. There's an option for being a gladiator, which I, it's amazing and hilarious. Um, for a guild artisan, it also includes info for being guild merchants. And for nobles, you can specify if you're a knight. And there's also special options if you want to have up to three NPCs be loyal to you when you're a noble lord. I think it's yeah. specific to knight, or is it for noble? Well, noble is the background. Yeah. Knight, and then you have three NPCs. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. depending on how intense you want to get with yeah. it. Yeah, which I think is like, uh, for a more experienced player, that can be a lot of fun, right? Because it's very easy to like for those who are experienced to build NPCs for the character to like be. I wish I could credit who it was. Who you probably know? Who invented the I know a guy rule? Was that was that Brennan? I want to say yes. I, I think feel like it, it is. Came, I feel like it came from the internet. It came from the internet. We use it in L five R two. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think it was one of Brennan's rules. Was the first place I encountered it. Um, there are so many features that are simply just you know a guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So. But the way that he actually flushed them out as like a yeah, feature instead of almost like instead of hero points. Exactly. You get like you, you get have another some... guy every so often. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can say, hey, I know a guy. Can... And then you'll the DM will come up with somebody on the spot, and they won't necessarily be exactly what you want because as a player you should not be creating that. I know a guy that can yeah. screw over a campaign, but your DM can say, okay, yeah, I understand and what you want from that know a guy. I'm just saying this will fit perfectly. I feel like this. it also just offers a boon to your players when you do it that it way does. too, because like it's kind of like okay, if you're creative enough to think about a guy that you know and why you know him, yeah, congratulations, Absolutely. yes, you can, yes, have you that. can have that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest differences here between having a regular, um, one of the regular 13 or one of the variances is obvious that the features change with each one, but we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later because we're going to talk about a little, some of the ones that are in the normal book. Uh, also, you can find in Baldur's Gate, Descendant to Avernus, also has a variant option for each of these basic backgrounds, but they're based on growing up in Baldur's Gate and being a part of that dangerous, like, seedy city. So, and I find that happens a lot with the modules, the backgrounds that come with them, is they're yeah. hyper-specific to the world that you're in. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. Uh, they're mechanically identical except for the features. Yeah. It's same with the source book materials as well. They're very similar, gen not always. We'll probably get to this, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're specific. But they're specific to the setting, right? But, but Baldur's Gate literally lists out Acolyte, Criminal, Charlotte, and all right. that shit again. Right, yes. Right, where the other ones have different names. Right. Anyway. Yeah, so like for instance, there are quite a few in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, uh, but they're largely expansions on the themes that you find in the Player's Handbook. There's a new kind of like, like for instance, there's a new kind of Acolyte, uh, Knight, Noble, and Artisan, as well as a Courtier, Scholar, Mercenary, and... Uthgard. Uthgard tribe member. <laughs> Uthgard. Yeah. It's Can't so, get roll with it. Yeah, it's, it's so strange that that's the one they wanted. To. Yeah, absolutely wild. <laughs> I guess they're trying to pull from the whole Sword Coast, and they're like, hey, what's right next to the Sword Coast? Well, there's there's one that's... The well, the noble is specific to, yeah, a, well, to yeah. a place yeah. as well. But. Water Davian. Nope. Yeah. 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 Well, when it comes to this, the ones that are kind of interesting to point out are the two kinds of City Watch members... The far travel, the far traveler, the inheritor, and the urban bounty hunter. 
Inheritor has always been the one that's most grasped me that I haven't touched yet. Yeah. It's also the most broken because you get some special shit with it. You do. Yeah. But you can, like, I want to play with a DM who I can really flush that out with. I want to make a warlock who's an inheritor. My like, favorite the two one. just go. My favorite so one together. from Sword Coast Adventures Guide is Far Traveler. Yeah. Yeah. Because you always have the one player that's like, oh, and I'm a Janassu in this land of elves and dwarves. And I'm yeah. like, all right. Uh, sure. Far you are. Traveler. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. Far Traveler Outlander. This is how you do it. <laughs> you are not from here. <laughs> Other than that, of course, Planescape, Spelljammer, which I know you love, Brad. I love Spelljammer. <laughs> Dragonlance, Strixhaven, Ravnica, and Eberron each have a short list of setting-specific backgrounds. So as we spoke to that before, hyper-specific to what the area they come from. So when you want to take one of these, confirm with your DM that it will work, right? Yeah. These are the ones that when I look at them and I read them, I'm like, this would be really nice, but I'm going to switch it to fit the world slightly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm at least going to rename the proper nouns. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So to go through a few of them, that being said, uh, Ebron and Ravnica have 13 and 10 respectively, and they're incredibly flavorful and worth digging into for inspiration. In Eberron, they're tied to your house, and in Ravnica, they're tied to your guild, which we spoke to earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Planescape also has different customi- customized abilities based on the faction that you're in. So, again, very specific to the area. You also, is it Ravnica gives you dwarven marks as well for specific do- dwarven houses? It's dragon marks dragon. for specific dragon houses in Eberron. Which one has the dwarven? There's a dwarven one as well, is there not? Not that I'm Am I worried. drawing a blank? Am I getting my things mixed up? I think you might be looking at a Pathfinder. No, it was in 5e because it was like Mark You're of You're in a different War- game. No, Mark of Warding <laughs> and things like that. That's Whereas, Eberron and that's... That's Eberron? That, yeah. That's, Those are dragon marks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought they were... No, they're not dwarven. There you go. I have not dug enough into Eberron. That's the Dave thing. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, to go on further, so be aware that in both Ravnica and Strixhaven, you do get additional spells to add to your spell list. If you're a spellcaster, even a half and half, like a paladin, eldritch knight, or a warlock, or like an arcane trickster, there's probably something here for, you know, you as a player. Remember that, again, get DM approval first, because sometimes those spells can, like, add a little bit too much to your character. Yeah. Yeah. And as if Strixhaven backgrounds aren't powerful enough, characters also get a bonus feat called Strixhaven Initiate, which adds even more spells. So... Well, it's based on a wizarding school. Yeah. Everyone's supposed to have. <laughs> yeah, so. it kind of makes sense, right? But I'm very rarely going to let someone. I just, it. unless we're playing in Strict Saving, I'm just going to be like, nah. Unless, or, you know what? If you can give me a damn good reason, if you were in Harry Potter's wizarding school or something like that. Give me a damn good Which reason. Which Charlie is, technically. <laughs> Charlie's from Strixhaven in our campaign, okay, so I yeah. let him take this. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And it's expanded his spell list quite a bit. But that's because he was a sorcerer pretending to be a wizard. Yeah. Right. So he needed a bigger spell list. Yeah. So he was running around kind of faking it. And his spellcasting focus was a book, but it was blank. Right. An empty so, book. Fantastic. Yeah. So, it, so I allowed that and then made a point to just look at all the other spellcasters and go, and you get a couple extra spells, and hey, mm-hmm. you found a way to cast this. Here's a wand for that. Sure. Just to balance the rest of it all out. Yeah. So. I just hit stuff with my fists. <laughs> sometimes you throw swords. I do, because sometimes I'm not close enough and I don't care. <laughs> sometimes the bard throws you. hey <laughs> All right, well, that being said, talking about those extra bonuses, they're not the only, like, books that will give you those extra bonus feats, such as Dragonlance, Planescape, and Spelljammer. Backgrounds also get feats. Uh, but they're very specific and actually kind of replace the feature, so it's not as versatile as you might think that it would be. So don't go picking up these books just for the backgrounds themselves. 
But do pick up those books because they're fantastic books. Some of them. Well, yeah. Planescape. And... The, the, the problem is Planescape and Spelljammer are so expensive. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah. Unless you're I committing... forgot about the sunk cost of Spelljammer yeah, because yeah. I love it enough that I spent that tax. But yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's a know. great book though. Well, my favorite. So Bigby's presents a glory of the I can't want to say Bigsby. <laughs> Bixby's. Bixby's. I know. Again, my friend's cat's name is Bigsby. So it's <laughs> Alright, well, in my favorite book, Bigby presents Glory of the Giants and of course the Book of Many Things. They do have two backgrounds, both of them giving you feats. But again, they replace your feature. Uh, Bigby only lets you have one of the feats related to giants, uh, but the Book of Many Things has backgrounds that are a bit more involved in your backstory and let you choose from a short list of feats. I mean, I agree and disagree with that. Some of the giants' backgrounds that you get are broken as fuck. They're broken, yep. but you only get the one that's part of that's the That's all yeah. you get. It's just, it's it, it, just you, you lose your feature. The feature is, you get this feat, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that's it. No, it's a decent I, trade-off. Um, in the D&D game that I played, uh, Roman took the rune cast. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Is it fucking up my shit? <laughs> <laughs> Anti-magic fields yeah. are your best friend. Oh, no, Always. they're they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On top of that, Acquisitions Incorporated has five backgrounds, and some of them are actually pretty cool, like Failed Merchant, Gambler, Celebrity, Adventurer, Scion... Which sounds pretty interesting. Adam and I did an episode on this book. Yeah. And that was the first time I came across these backgrounds and went, holy crap, I need to play with these. I yeah. love Failed Merchant. That one just sounds like a lot of there's, fun. There's so much really cool flavor in it. And it's yeah. set in the Forgotten Realms. Yes, it like, is. Anyone can pick this up and, and apply it. Yeah. But anyway. Another plug for a slept on book. Yeah. There you go. In Ghosts of Saltmarsh, uh, they have four water-related backgrounds, including Smuggler and Marine. Other than that, you start to get into like more specific use case backgrounds, like the anthropologist or the archaeologist from the Tomb of Annihilation, or like the athlete from Theros, which I think is pretty cool. I'm surprised that Gladiator <laughs> wasn't yeah, gladiator. Was like well, because Gladiator already existed, I guess, before Theros came out. That's yeah, yeah. I feel like you can have why. like Arena Gladiator, like another variant. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then again, I guess the Gladiator that we currently have does say like in Arena fighting, yes, it you does. get extra, yeah. right? So that makes sense. Damn it! Um, and the Fey Lost and the Witchlight Hand from the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which tie you loosely to the Fey Wild to a tight, to a tightly, like, it's like a carnival base, yeah. right? Yeah, Another yeah. episode that we did together, Adam and I. Great book review for yeah. a great book. Yeah, I, that's one that I would like to be a player in. Me we, too. It's the same conversation we had, right? No one wants to run it, everyone wants to play I'm gonna, it. Yeah. I'm gonna, I might pick, do you have the Witchlight book? Yeah, it's yeah, right. Yeah. It's behind me. I might yes. borrow it because I kind of wait because reading through these, I, like I started reading the background. And I was like, yeah. interesting. So I started reading a little bit more about. It. I'm like, I I kind of enjoy this. So. Yeah, the story, like the actual campaign arc in that book, is wild. Yeah, and I, I've read too much of it. I probably have to run it now because I've read it enough. Yeah, yeah. me too. That's but boy, would curses, it be fun. Curses this podcast. <laughs> boy, would it be fun. All right, well, moving on, I, I, we kind of mentioned before that there are a couple of City Watch options in Sword Coast Adventures Guide, and one of them is an investigator. Uh, there's another investigator that's closer to the private eye in the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And speaking of that, also in Ravenloft is the Haunted One, uh, which is a background that also appears in The Curse of Strahd. So it's neat that they kind of share them. Yeah. The yeah. one that everybody takes. Well, I mean, it's popular amongst the edgy characters, like your your rogues and your warlocks and your what have you. And your Charlies. Your Char- I was gonna say I was gonna say I was gonna call Charlie out again, but I feel like I already did today, so I need to like. <laughs> All 
All right, and finally, I should point out that there are 20 more backgrounds that are available through the Adventure League and the Plane Shift materials, but they're rare. Uh, well, um, specific to Adventures League. Yeah, yeah definitely like, flavored and, you know, specifically to that. You're going to have to hunt those down on purpose. Yeah. And, f- again, flavorful, but they're so tied to the campaign, yeah. even more so than the Eberron one. These ones are like, hey, when you start off out of the Abyss, this is one of the three things to do. If you're going to be a, a refugee slave from the that sure. has been captured by the drow. Yeah. Like, that's so specific. Are yeah. you really going to go hunting for that? No, so. it's specific to the campaign. Why would you? Yeah. 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 Well, so I, I got some questions. Let's grab dice. Let's roll. finally roll some dice. Sure. I got an eight. I'm talking to myself with a 19. I need a three. I go in last. So, uh, so far, how do we feel about backgrounds of 5th edition? Uh, I like them. They're underutilized at tables, and most people sleep on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's that thing that kind of kicks off the background of your character. It kind of gives you some inspiration, but from there, you forget you have it. So again, underutilized, but it's an extra thing that your DM has to, and if I'm DMing, I have to pay attention to, right? Whereas I'm going to take for your backstory, I'm not necessarily going to take from the features of your background. Yeah. Which I think is the is going to be the moral of this entire episode, is that yes. people, DMs are sleeping on this. Yeah. What a fucking tool to have. And like, players are too, because like, even when I was going through it, each one of the backgrounds, of course, have pips for like, character personality traits, and how to play your character, like specific mm-hmm. background things you can take. And I find that a lot of first-time players struggle with how do I play my character? Read your goddamn background. Yep. And take experience, yeah. like take inspiration from that, and then utilize the, it as a player. I wholly use them as inspiration points. This is this is where I start. In fact, before I pick my race, before I pick my class, oh yeah, this is where I go first. Mm-hmm. I like it because we are going to see that shift of mentality. This is going to be the initial character building thing in the next edition of D&D. Which makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay, so... I understand it's a game, mechanics, people care about their class. But, but, but okay, so the idea moving forward, for those of you that don't know, although I've said it a handful of times on the podcast already, instead of races, we're going to go with species, and we're going to... They're gutting all of the shit out of that and putting all of those um, stat bonuses and stuff directly into your background. Even the languages you speak will no longer be elven because you... Are an elf, it will be where did you grow up? Yeah. What's the part of your background? These are the, maybe the available languages for you. Yeah. So the race is going to get changed to species, so it's not a racist thing. However, they're really neutering that to beef up backgrounds. Yeah. Backgrounds then are going to be like building for an archetype, like we do in the campaign builder, mm-hmm. where we're not building for a specific class. We're looking at this. We're up to six archetypes now, but like. A criminal, a yeah. warrior, Who is this a person, right? An outdoorsman, yeah. like a diplomat. Yeah, these are the the places where you should start what, your build. What is driving this character? So, do we like this? Yes, that's how I already do it. So, yes, I love it. Well, it just makes sense because sometimes, again, you're playing an elven character who was not around elves their entire life. Why yeah. would they know how to speak elven just because they're inherently an elf? Blah blah blah, magic Coralon. Hundred percent tends to be the the stock answer. Sure, but I yeah. don't like that. But I feel like it yeah. fits better, and it makes yeah. you think about your character building a little bit more. Yeah. For everyone who loves to play the orphan that was raised by foreigners, why would you speak your native tongue if you never grew I up just, around? I just it? imagine that mm-hmm. hilarious, like again, that moment of like you go to a group of elves and you have that one elf in your party, and they're like, everyone looks at you like, looks at you like, can you speak this language? You're like, dude, know. no, I was no. born in Chicago. I speak orc. <laughs> I speak orc. <laughs> I speak orc and giant for some reason. Shikorko. Shikorkian. So. How big is that bean? <laughs> if you had to pick up another book after the player's handbook, buying it solely for the backgrounds in it, 
Which one would you buy? Your first, Adam. Which For me, this is going to shock people because I'm on record as fucking hating this book. Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Yep. It just has the most, doesn't it? It has a lot, and they're actually pretty fucking good. Yeah. yeah. Right? Even the ones that are just a variant on the other stuff, the features listed there, neat. It does a good job of taking the existing ones and actually making them feel lived in. Yeah. It flushes them out so well. That's fair. And, like, to be honest, at the end of the day, I agree. The more, the better, because you have a little bit more to play with. But, like, Big B the Giant's book was, like, the first one that I, like, read. And it was... I like these backgrounds. I may use them. They're so powerful. It's yeah. It's the power creep of 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on display in Big B's. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why... It was the first time I, like, have read a background in another book and been... Yeah, I'll take yeah. that. So yeah. you said Skag, so... Which would have been my answer, but... Because we already discussed it, I'm going to bring up Acquisitions Incorporated again. You want some fun ideas for how to actually build a quirkier character? One of them is Rival Intern. Yes, is Rival really Intern funny. is delightful. Like, yeah. I gotta say, though, don't sleep on Eberron, no. Ravnica, um, or... The thing that bugs me with those ones is they are somewhat setting-specific. You can pull stuff out of them, they aren't... But, like, the naming conventions are so tied to their setting. Yeah, but again, I'm just changing proper nouns, Sure, it's, it's fine. There are, there are, especially in Ravnica, you have ten different options for different kinds of guilds. Guilds, yeah. And the background that comes with it, although it is going to be tied to a guild... But if I'm playing guild stuff, I'm going to be buying this, buying this book anyway, so yeah. here we are. That's fair. Uh, does this redeem Sword Coast Adventures Guide a little? Yes. Sure. I, but I, I didn't think we were hating on it. Are we hating on oh, it? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it was... It gives us the worst subclasses. Fair. Yeah. It gives us just the most general, basic um, lore that you would be able to find with a quick Google search. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the artwork is relatively uninspired. Mm. It's not particularly well written or the, and and put together. It's well, dull. I've never it, bought it, so I don't it know. was it was basically <laughs> a quick product that they put out early in the life cycle, and there was, wasn't a lot of books competing, and they just wanted to move product. Oh, you mean every book they've ever released in the last five years? Great. <laughs> well, worse than most. Yeah, I, I I'm going to go out on a limb and say this might be in the bottom three books of fifth edition. Hey-o. So uh, yes, it redeems it a little. Not enough. Not enough. Well, I, I, I will not be right. It is still not worth the price of admission. Though, if you really want to do this, the best way to do it is on D and D Beyond. You can go in and you can buy specifically the subject class section for like yeah, four dollars. Yeah, you can buy specific pieces now. Yeah, which I think is yeah. Nice. that's worth doing. Yeah, yeah. The don't, rest of the book, don't waste a dime on it. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to features. Now we're going to focus primarily on the player's handbook for the most part till we get to the end here. But I want to talk really quickly about examples because the features of the thing where that's the real winner yes everybody mm-hmm. understands how skill proficiencies work nobody's ever going to figure out how tool proficiencies work and uh and languages and starting set like yeah your your gaming dice and your pet mouse they're not gonna have that stuff that. you're never gonna even remember you have them right your your <laughs> personality trait your flaws bonds and and all of that's going to be great for tier one and then you're just going to know your character yeah. at that point and be able to move on. So, let's look at the features, because these are things that could consistently affect the campaign from the very first session to the very last one, right? Absolutely. If you have spoken to your DM, and the DMs know what's out there, and they're able to kind of weave it in. So, uh, we have broken up all of the player's handbook ones, plus a couple others, uh, into little sections. So, let's grab dice and roll initiative, uh, and then we can talk about them. Okay. Oh, oh three. you had a 19, I, I knocked you to the three, and I got an 18 myself. You've got a 16, Adam, so I guess I'm going first. Brad. So my first one on the docket is the Sage. 
Um, the feature specific to the Sage is called Researcher. Um, I could read it out, but I'd rather put it in my own words to make it a little more clear on what it actually does. Sure. Uh, but basically, you can use this feature to pull in your memory and recall some piece of lore or history from the world. Okay. I've watched Dan try to do this so many fucking times, and he never has a reason to do it because yes. he doesn't have the sage background. Yeah. yeah. He has a witch light hand background, which doesn't... No, doesn't help in this case. No. That's, you're not going to have that. Um, like, players love to know the history. Give me a history check, great. But in this case, you can actually have them try and pull from memory, and if you can justify why they might know this, your DM can basically choose um, how much of that information they'll reveal to you from the setting. My favorite thing to do is to literally... Because it's normally about a monster. Do I know what this thing is? And I will say, eh, reasonably, roll a history check sure. or something yep. mm -hmm. with advantage because of the sage background. Yep. Depending on how well they roll, I will give them vague information. They roll a two, I will give them wrong information. Yes. Right? But it does open that conversation up, yeah. which is really cool. It's the same thing I do when make investigation checks. I'll give false information. Pull, basically pull that same thing here, right? Yeah. You're investigating your own mind. Sure. What do you remember? Yes. Roll for it. That's fair. In your mind palace. And you bet every time they're making a history check, they're making with advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That's Within reason, of course, right? There's going to be some cases where it's just like, there's no way in hell you would know this, but... Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a religion check or yeah. it's a knowledge sure. check or a nature check, yeah. right? But, but it's going to be intelligence-based. Yeah. Yeah. So mine is for the noble. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to go over the knight or the other variant about the retainers that you get, the, the three NPCs. The standard noble just gets what's called the position of privilege. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Due to being a born noble, people just think that you're pretty fucking great. Yeah. Uh, you can easily move throughout high society and everyone makes the assumption that wherever you are, you're supposed to be there. Which is kind of like the rule of wear a busy vest and carry a ladder and you can Absolutely get Absolutely get it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 Uh, the common folk will try to keep you happy and other nobles will treat you as an equal. Yep. You have the ability to meet and do business with other nobles. Mm -hmm. So this opens doors. This lets you in places that normally you wouldn't be able to get just because you're fucking fancy. Yeah. yeah. You deserve to be there. You're better than the rest. You're so yeah. fancy pants. You are more important than I am. And because you've been brought up that way, it's in your like posture and mannerisms and everyone else just believes it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You And you believe it. You're yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> I get everything that I Very want. Very much I'm so. super special. Yeah. There's no... Uh, there's no imposter syndrome with this guy yeah. no. at all. So no. that's yeah, really... Yeah, you're not acting. No, that's really useful. Yes. That is so useful if you're anywhere near a city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, I'm, I have Acolyte, which for their feature, they get Shelter of the Faithful. And I feel like Acolyte speaks for itself for anything who's never had it. It's basically, you, you lived in a church. Yep. Um, so, but the Shelter of the Faithful basically means that anytime you go into a town when there is a church of your faith, you are welcome there. You can come in. Uh, you can even perform religious ceremonies there. Your team can expect getting heals from the group that's there. Yeah. Um, it does stay as long as you can provide the material components to make it happen. Yes. Um, but, you know, those who share your religion will support you, yeah. right? So I think as a DM, that's kind of a good thing to put in there. If you've got mm -hmm. a character who has this in their background, putting a church somewhere where they can Specifically kind of to the deity that they have Show chosen. their niceness, mm -hmm. go for it. Because that being said, if you have specific ties to a specific deity you can take up residence in those temples um, yeah. freely if you want to as well with this feat. And I, would, then... I would also let that happen for like 
pantheon adjacent Absolutely, deities yeah. as well. Yeah. So like as long as you're not praying to the wrong gods, yeah. Yeah. you should be you know, covered to a degree. You're not praying to the evil gods and trying to step into the Church of Lathander or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then to finish that off, like the, the priests of that temple will also assist you with anything that you need, as long as it's not hazardous to them or the church itself. Sure. Yeah. Right. Very similar to the noble background, in yeah. a sense. It's just, it's... You belong there. But who's the crowd that you hang out with? Bo- yeah. Both of those are... I know a guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Uh, my next one I've got is one that everybody plays as, but nobody takes the background for. It's the charlatan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the most used background without actually being used. Yeah. Um, the charlatan, basically, you get... You automatically get, this is great, a second identity. You have all the passports, you have all the information, you have contacts. Everybody knows you as this second person. Yeah. Right? How many people want to play with a mysterious background? Um, but the other thing <laughs> that you get with this, the second part of the feature, is that you can just straight up forge documents. As long as you have seen the document type or seen somebody's handwriting. I've seen that come it. in handy in so many oh, so campaigns. Many yeah. yeah. But nobody actually takes this background. It's yeah. uh, it's also it's the thing that, that shows up in Tier 3. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when you choose this at Level 1, that you're playing you're the long, playing long game. game. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Sure. Um, so my next one is the Guild Artisan. Mm-hmm. This one comes with guild membership, and that's the name of the feature as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many players that should should choose this because it fucking yep. opens doors. You are established and respected within your own guild, and that comes with fucking perks. You get free room and board from other guild members, and the guild will cover the costs of your inevitable funeral. If there is a guild hall in town, you have access to it. And this gives you access to other people of your profession, allies, patrons, and even people for hire. Yeah. Most guilds have significant political power. And that means if you are accused of a crime that either you're probably innocent of, or the crime is somewhat justifiable because it was an unjust law, then the guild will back you and pay for your legal fees. I mentioned patrons a second ago, and they're definitely patrons within the guild. But if you are popular and upstanding as a member of the guild... You might get access to political figures outside the guild who may want to support and fund you or the guild itself, Mm -hmm. which will put you in even better standing with them. (laughs) This support can be money or magical items. Yeah. Also, you owe five gold pieces to the guild every month as Mm -hmm. part of your membership. But if you miss a month, if you're off adventuring, if you're stuck in the Underdark, whatever, it's not the end of the world. Just be prepared to pay that shit back. You make a back payment next yeah. time you're in town. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're, You've been on the road for six months. Congratulations, you owe six months worth back. Exactly. That's, that's what that means. I've so. actually used this background. Have you? Yeah, I, think I have. it would be hilarious that like, you don't have the money, so yeah. you don't go into town. Yes. Because you're scared you're going to be found out that you don't <laughs> have the money. To or pay. you're going to have to put in some work to pay off your... <laughs> I'm going to be camping on the side gates today. I unfortunately never got to get this one to pay off properly. I had it set up, but... That was for the clear-cut campaign, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, what happened with that one? Uh, apparently, somebody just, like, team-killed all the other players. It was... <laughs> was that you, Adam? Yeah. You yeah, it was. Uh, There's also, actually, in the section under uh, Guild Artisan, there's a D20 list of guild businesses. Yeah. These are a great place for Dungeon Masters to go to look if you're going to populate a city with businesses and stuff. Yeah. Great list just buried in the player's handbook. Love it. Is it me? It is. is It's my turn. Okay, so I got Entertainer, which is exactly as it sounds. You entertain people for a living. But the features that it gives you is that you uh, have to pick an entertainer routine. So they do give you a list that you can choose from. But I feel like as a DM, you can kind of like retcon and choose and help them choose something that fits their background. Because the thing is they give you like actor, dancer, jester, like storyteller, what have you, right? Prostitute. Yeah, yeah. You can just do whatever you want, right? Whatever's entertaining. (laughs) 
<laughs> stripper. It's, it's called an escort. Oh, escort. My apologies. Yeah. You had escort missions. <laughs> oh, the worst kind of missions. Oh, Lord. Uh, the A other... lot of grinding. Different kind of perks. Different kind of grinding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grinding for experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that went through. I'm an entertainer. <laughs> I thought I was just going to slip by. Not on this crew. Um, the other option you get, oh, sorry, other feature you get is by popular demand. So basically, of course, when you go into a city or a town or a tavern, if you perform every night in a specific place, in a specific place, um, they will give you lodging, free food, and modest accommodation. So if you're looking for a tavern and you don't want to spend your gold and you've got someone who's an entertainer in your group, yeah. this is something that you can definitely utilize to not have to utilize that resource. Again, lots of I know a guy. I Absolutely. can get free room and board. Mm -hmm. I, I can get in and talk to people. Yeah. Well, I know some other musicians who've been on the road a lot. We can probably get some information because they've probably been in that town that we're going to. Yeah. Exactly. And like the more you perform in an area, the more popular you become. And so other people will take positive reaction to you when you're walking through the town. So that's very I, helpful. I happened to stumble upon this just, uh, I don't know why I was looking into backgrounds, but have you noticed that this is what Dan's character is going through? Mm -hmm. Because he's our local bard and he did a mm. number of shows, rolled really well in his performance checks. So I have been mining this, even though it's not his background, right. I have been mining this for plot points. Sure. Mm. Makes sense. Is this one that also includes Puppeteer? Uh, not in its list specifically, no. no. Okay. I feel like there's some, one of the books that covers like a puppeteer being in town. Uh, I think that is. That we did. I think that's the witch light. It is. You're right. It's the start yeah. of witch light. Yeah. Before you go to the carnival. That's yeah. right. Uh, I think I'm up next. Uh, my next one is Hermit. I hate this background. One, How dare I, you? One, because everybody takes it. Two, it's because just... as a DM, it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. The feature for. I'm a lot of work for people. The feature for the Hermit yes. is called Discovery. And basically, you're going to know some unknown secret because of the time that you have spent alone, on your own, thinking about things. It might be cosmic in origin. It might be arcane in origin. It might be natural in origin. But you know a secret. I know something you don't. I spent time by myself. I figured, unlocked a secret of the universe. And that is... <laughs> the government is hiding cameras in your cereal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's true or not. Yeah. Birds aren't real. Birds aren't real. <laughs> I totally did because one of my players took Urchin as their background for their character and I gave them a true secret and I'm like, I should have given them a fake secret. <laughs> oh, you so mean Hermit? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Sorry, so, Hermit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I understand why people like it. It Just as a DM, don't do this to me, please. I'm not that kind of DM. Adam, give it to Adam. Give Hermit and Adam's <laughs> Oh, I will. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then the secret you know is that Dragons aren't real. They're flying machines with, with illusion cast on them. <laughs> they're made of metal. <laughs> yeah. They're actually birds that just had an enlarged cast on them. <laughs> Kill the bird. <laughs> Have you ever met a dwarf? No, you haven't. What's a fat halfling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that can get real dark. <laughs> oh, except, except it has to be true. That's the thing. You unlock the secret of the universe. So no one else is going to believe you. But it is true. Well, it could be a secret of someone else's universe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think it's a great way as a DM to hide something in the campaign. Yeah. And this crazy guy knows it, but nobody's going to believe him anywhere he goes. It's like Dan's campaign. It's a flat plane. I am convinced that his world is round. <laughs> you just need to get to the and edge so and every, everywhere I go I say it's not round you just gotta go over the edge and it just you just curve we haven't gotten the edge yet no <laughs> um, my next one is uh, the criminal yeah and uh, this is this feature is called the criminal contact you have a contact it's literally you know a guy you have a contact with a seedy underworld um, of crime yeah 
even if he, she, or they is far away, you can quickly get messages to them because you know messengers, uh, bribable leaders of caravans, and outlaw sailors to be able to get the messages, and they can hook you up with other criminals. Yeah. You know that uh, ancestral sword that glows and it's full of demon souls and you can't get rid of it because no one will buy it? I know a guy. Yeah, I know a guy. I know a guy. The, I have a criminal contact. It'll take two weeks for him to get here, but I, we, we can deal with it. Yeah, I'll I know it a guy, yeah. yeah. That's it. Like, I'll the criminal one's pretty it, straightforward. Yeah. Uh, my next one is Urchin, which is pretty straightforward as well. Uh, you were born into a city where you're on you're, you're a street rat. Thanks, Aladdin. Yeah. Um, but basically, your feature is that you have city secrets. So you know your city that you live in. You know its patterns. You know who goes where. It's kind of like the whole process where, like, you know everyone's day-to-day, in my mm-hmm. mind as well. So you know that the baker puts out his dozen buns in the morning at mm-hmm. 9 a.m. Like, yeah. you know the whole, like, the whole kit and caboodle. In fact, your kit comes with a city map as well. So you know oh, nice. where everything is. It's kind of funny, because the urchin, you just think it's in their head. Yeah, although I'm sure that they've written down certain specific notes over time. I would almost run it in, like, a thief. I would have that map be written in... An equivalent to thieves camp. Yeah, so only they, or like it's something that they only they. Then the other urchins, right? Yeah. So I, I always like to pull from Sherlock's urchins when I try and yeah. do an urchin background or yeah. or the uh, the, city. the little birds from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. The one of the other pieces that you get is um, because you know where everything is, you can travel between uh, any two locations uh, faster than like twice as fast that it would normally take you to. Cause you know, the, the streets and the yeah. secrets and the under caverns and you can take your group with you as long as you're leading. So that's a great way to kind of like make them the spotlight for an episode mm-hmm. is to be like, we need to get to this side of the city. How do we get there? I'd be like, don't worry. I can get you I there in like half an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Really useful for like evacuations and escape routes. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not or, wrong. you know, your rogue stole something again and you need to hide in the sewers from the guards. You need to run bit. really, really fucking fast. Yeah. Or you have a key. You need a spot to lie low. Yeah, I would be like you I feel like one of those locations would be your safe house. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a abandoned house that you know is clear. Yeah. Um my next one is Soldier. It's fairly self explanatory. Its feature is uh military rank. So if you go anywhere and you encounter your own army, I may even say if you encounter an opposing force who abides by laws of war, mm-hmm. and you state your rank, they will treat you accordingly, is effectively the shorthand of what this is. Right? You can pull rank. Yeah. You walk into an, an army camp and you say, if you're a lieutenant, everybody under you is going to answer to you. I don't do military structure. We need Terry for that sort of shit. Yeah, I, but, I, I like the idea too. Like, you guys get captured by the enemy orcs and whatnot, and everybody yeah. gets the bag over their head and tied to a stake out around but the campfire. But not the soldier. But the soldier... He gets tied to a chair inside with mm-hmm. the, by the warm fire, but mm-hmm. like it's yeah. going to be treated different. But he's also going to have some information, possibly, so they're probably also going to want to extract information. Yeah, they, they are going to chop off his ears if yeah. he doesn't fucking tell them. But. Uh, you do also gain access, if you are in a military camp, you'll have access to the military supplies according to your station. So if you need a horse, or you sure. need some food, you need some you know supply of... Yeah, you know, again, yeah. <laughs> there's a theme here. <laughs> but it also will give you access if there's a military fort in the middle of nowhere. You are able to identify yourself as a soldier and bring your crew in. Love it. That's really fucking useful, actually. Really useful. Especially when you're dealing with, like, spell jamming campaigns and pirate campaigns and, like, mm-hmm. you it can, can pull no right. It can backfire on you, too. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, which and I think is not going to be utilized enough. No. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, my next one is the folk hero, which is kind of the opposite of soldier, but it's also a known guy. 
This one's called Rustic Hospitality. Because you come from humble beginnings and the local commoners know of your deeds, you can find places to lay low and recover among the common folk, and you can blend in easily with them. Yeah. The commoners who know of you will protect you from anyone who's looking for you, including law enforcement. Just remember, they're not willing to risk their lives for you, and if you are likely to be in a danger uh, to their livelihoods, they're not going to help you. Mm. So as long as it's convenient, they like you, but they're not going to risk their their kids at home. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. This one is great because as opposed to nobility or soldier or whatnot, there's common people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as you're locally famous, you ought to be okay. Um, my next one is Sailor. Uh, which did come with a variant which you talked about briefly, which is the pirate, but we're not really going to talk about that one as a whole, but the feature is the same. Uh, basically, you have ship's passage, which means that you can like get free passage with your group on any ship that mm-hmm. you want to find with your companions, um, as well as you know basically how long it's going to take you to get somewhere. Like You can figure that out, um, and so it just makes fast travel easy. So again, it's the I know a guy. Yeah. Hey, we need to get to the side of the ocean. Great. I know this ship's crew. I can do that thing for you. And this is kind of like boating the fact that you are a positive influence in the world because people like enjoy you as a crewmate or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an alternative bad reputation. So if you don't want to that's take... That's the pirate. That's the pirate one, technically. So um, you actually have a bad reputation no matter where you go because of it. That sounds like every D&D party. Yeah. Yeah. After about the third session. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next one on my list is Far Traveler, which I had to, as we were waiting here, download the book because it's the one book that I obviously don't keep on my phone. <laughs> yeah, right. Sarkos Adventures. Yeah. yeah. And, um, Far Traveler, however, is, we discussed how the, these are kind of the most interesting part of the book. Far Traveler, you mentioned earlier for the Genasi. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it fits in for. You are basically a sideshow piece. You are not from here. Your type are not around. Mm-hmm. You're not very common. So you're going to draw some ire, some awkward looks. You might be treated poorly. But the chances are, if you run into some scholars or some nobles, someone who's going to see you as, you know, an antiquity, they're, you're going to get some attention. You might be able to even use that to your advantage to get some money or some information. Mm. Right? You have something to leverage. I have some amazing knowledge from a far-off land that you can share. That could be really flavorful and useful, especially when you're getting into, like, you're the only Spelljammer race in a yeah. Forgotten Realms campaign. Or you're doing Curse of Strahd where it's all humans and a couple of vampires and elves and stuff. Yeah. And then a fucking furbold walks in with the party. Yeah. Like, like, what the hell? Where did you yeah. come from? Yeah. yeah. I feel like tieflings outside of Baldur's Gate can be used pretty much like that. Yeah. They're, they're flavored that way. Every damn campaign has three tieflings in it. Okay. Because everyone plays as a tiefling. <laughs> Wait, we've had two. Yeah. We've had two. Yeah. yeah. There's almost always a tiefling. But in the reality of the world, right, they're supposed to be rare. I think it would be a fitting background for a tiefling. Uh, Mine is the last one from the player's handbook, and that's Outlander. And the feature is called Wanderer. You've got a memory for geography, landscapes, topography, and maps. If you've been to a specific land, settlement, or noteworthy feature, you can always recall the details you need to know to navigate to, through, and around it. Additionally, you can find food and fresh water for yourself and up to five other people every day, assuming that the land you're in sports things like small animals, fresh water, berries and nuts, and other items can be scavenged or gathered. Mm. All the other ones are, I know a guy. This one is, I am that guy. 
There you go. Yeah. I, I can get you there and I can find the shit. I'm the so guy. I'm, I'm the, the dude. Guy. I'm the one. Yeah. I am him. <laughs> so, for how often do we go hunting in our campaigns while we're traveling? Uh, because we have Dave in our group all the time. <laughs> well, we did when he was a Leonin. Now yeah. he's a fairy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really feel like Good this... for Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Branching out. <laughs> he literally rolls randomly on tables to find out what he's Oh, I know. I've created so. characters with Dave using the oh, D20 Lord. method. Yeah. So, the Outlander... Is going to be absolutely perfect for all of our shit got stolen. How are we going to live? I'm okay. We can do it. We'll survive. The 18 NPCs we're traveling with are going to starve to death, but we're okay. We'll be fine. The four of us. Donner party. Yes. The cool people, like the cool crew, right? You know a guy. It's okay. I am that guy. (laughs) I am him. (laughs) Uh, My next one is called The Haunted One, which comes from Ravenloft. Uh, And basically the concept behind it is that something so terrible happened to you in your history that you are haunted by it for the rest of your life. So the feature you get is what's called Heart of Darkness, which basically means that anyone who comes across you can look you in the eye and know that you've seen some shit. And <laughs> I feel like they then feel terrible for you. So um, even though they're afraid of you, they will actually help you as best they can. Yeah. Because they're just like this poor, unfortunate soul. <laughs> um, <laughs> so unless you've kind of like shown that you're going to be like mean or hurt them or be aggressive towards them... They will actually take up arms alongside you to help no. you. Because they're just like, I, I really want you to not have to do this by yourself and be yeah. alone. Yeah. Right? You've seen enough shit. Yeah. You're, you're so tortured. Through the power of friendship. Yeah. <laughs> this, I, like, you need to have this for Curse of Strahd because there's no other way that those those peasants are going to yeah. team up with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even then, they've seen enough. So, I asked everybody from here. Mm-hmm. To pick one that you thought was interesting and look it up yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What'd you guys land on? So I've got one, and I want to stick with the skag theme. Sure. So when I meant brought up earlier, the inheritor. Cool. Right? So you basically get to have some piece of inheritance. We're not talking about generational wealth. I mean, it could be if you wanted to. Yeah. This is another one of those ones. you got to work with your DM, and you got to work together pretty well to figure out what it's going to be. But I really like the idea that you are inheriting some sort of cursed item. Yeah. Whether or not you know it's even cursed is great. I I would play it as I don't know that it's a cursed item. It's just a family heirloom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And over the course of this adventure, my DM is going to emotionally abuse me by pulling up this inherited item that I, I can't let go of because it's a family heirloom. It's the only thing that ties me to my dead mother at this point. Emotionally at first. At first. <laughs> Until you destroy it. <laughs> um, it. I also like this because it does give you a... What do you mean, Megan? Shut up, Adam. <laughs> It does give you a D8 table for things to roll on if you don't have your own items. So, you know, documents, trinkets. Interesting, trinket is on here twice. They really want you to have a trinket. (laughs) Um, Even clothing, jewelry, um, arcane book. I I think trinket is on there twice because they've got special gothic trinkets in Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This one's from Skag, though. No, no, I know. But, like, there are all sorts of trinket tables all the way through different books. There's one in Icewind Dale. There's one in Witchlight. So... Now, the one that stood out to me, there's two more that I intentionally left for the end because they were the most interesting to me. Uh, one would be a written story, song, poem, or a secret. So something really specific to your family. Yeah. Or the other one being a tattoo or body marking. Love a good tattoo. You've got, uh, yeah, you've got a birthmark. Or a dragon that, mark. Or a dragon mark. Your family, as far as you know, has no draconic ties. Why do you have a dragon mark? Yeah. yeah. Or you, uh, I do like 
So that you as a dungeon master can then torture them with like, oh, I, yeah. I know this song. You can be like, and I have Modify Memory. Yes. So. <laughs> Do you know this song? Yeah. Do you have the time? So evil. To listen to me whine. <laughs> okay. No, I don't. Uh, the one that I chose was Faceless. This is from Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. And the reason that I chose this is because it is so freaking close to Charlatan, but it's different. Yeah. It's a little bit more potent. It is called Dual Personalities. Before this section, there is a D10 table of faceless personas, which you can select from in order to get inspired about an alter ego that you might want your character to have. This is what Charlotte did. Very similar to identity. Yeah. However, you need to work with your DM because this is for plot purposes and not surprise gotcha moments. Yeah. Some of the options here, as opposed to like, oh, you you're, you can cheat at cards and shit, which is what the Charlton had. Mm-hmm. You can pose as a vengeful spirit, a manifestation of a deity or of your faith, uh, an impersonation of another hero, the embodiment of a school of magic, and other shit like that. Yeah. So it's much bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone who knows you knows you as your persona. And the moment you put on your disguise and embody your other identity, you become indistinguishable from them. Mm. The moment you remove your disguise, no one will be able to recognize you as your other persona either. So you are effectively playing two characters. Yeah. Anyone who tries gaining more information about you when you're in your disguise is going to be left confused and bewildered because there's nothing to know. You can swap between personas as often as you'd like, but don't abuse it. It says right in there, beware. Because if anyone finds out, your cover may be irrevocably blown. And so, and this is incredibly tricky to do. Like, you're going to want some seasoned players if you're going to try and pull this off. Yeah, well, I pulled this off with Charlie. Do you remember? He was a he was a mastermind uh, mm-hmm. rogue, and yeah. he came into the campaign at level 18. Yeah. So we were wrapping up. Everybody else had gone through these huge storylines. He wanted a right. backstory, so I gave him three other personas and a, and a massive disguise kit. Yeah. Right. And so we met him as the other personas. Oh, interesting. Before but, throughout him. the campaign. Yeah. Before Charlie ever sat at the table, he right. he developed these NPCs. He had been there, yeah. Right? So I had been dropping hints, and then he showed up. and was like, oh, yeah, we should go talk to this person. He's like, I am that person. I yeah. am that guy. Yeah, that's oh, me. So, yeah. And, and, <laughs> me. And it happened once. And I was like, oh, neat. And it happened again. Like, oh, fuck, really? You had two? And then it happened a third okay. time. And Dan just, like, slow turned at Charlie and was like, what else? What, <laughs> what else is there? No, many how many more? more? <laughs> yeah. So... So Faceless was a lot of fun. Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, I chose one from the... Uh, Bigsby's? I did not choose from Bigsby's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I even made a comment in my notes to say, y'all thought I would choose a Giants one, but I didn't. Because ah, we already talked about the Giants. Been there, done that. Episodes. So I chose a Witchlight one, which was the Witchlight Hand, which we did talk great about choice. briefly. But yeah, when I read choice. it, I thought it was really neat because the two feats that you get is you get a carnival companion which basically means you get an extra npc that you again you know a guy so the companions are so interesting so wild because you can you could choose like um any of the performers obviously a retired performer um you can choose an old blink dog you can choose a cheery sprite like and and technically you can choose anything from the monster manual it says really i mean you're in the feywild let your imagination yeah. One of them is like a moat of light that yeah. doesn't speak. And a harmless falls. magical just like, Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah. No, listen. No, I have PTSD. For 
And then the other part you get is you get, of course, Carnival Fixture, which basically means that you have free lodging, food, all those kinds of things when you're within the Carnival grounds. Um, and additionally, uh, you can like wander around and partake in what's going on with no cost to you at all. Um, I feel like you can extend this to the party that you're wandering around with. Uh, again, this is very hyper-specific to the world, but I feel like you could flavor this one to any other campaign. I mean, a traveling carnival can be traveling anywhere. Traveling carnival, or even just like you are part of a festival. Yeah. Or like you are part of like an entertaining, like a, like a theater, a theatrical. Yeah, like, yeah, like a troupe. Yeah. Theater troupe. Yeah. Like you've got a theater troupe where, yeah, you, you just think that's where your hideout Coachella. is. Right? Like, we go to Coachella every year. Right? So, I just, yeah. I guess Burning Hands. <laughs> burning Mans? Yeah. Burning Mans. But again, like, this is what kind of inspired me to, like, read more about the yeah, yeah. book. And I was like, I kind of am pretty interested in it at this point. It's a point. great book. So. All right. Well, before we go any further into Wild Men the Witchlight, let's pause for an info break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. All right, let's get into our final thoughts, inspirations. What were kind of our final takeaways here? Should we roll for it? Sure. Oh god! Right. Ah. I cheated. I went first so that I don't knock anybody over again. Did um, we roll? I rolled a nine. Uh, I you're, rolled a six. You're, you're, you're first. first. Okay. Uh, so my final thoughts here is that I always forget that the other books and modules will have backgrounds and feats added to them. They're not just modules for a like storyline or mm-hmm. extra um, races or what have you. That looking at them specifically for backgrounds might be helpful for more inspiration, not only for you as a player, but of course for you as a DM as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when you're a DM, if you're gonna do like Wild Beyond the Witch, like for example. Look at the background. These are the kind of characters yeah. you, that you're going to end up with. They expect your players to play. You right? want a good way to fill out the world? Go through all of these yeah. and just go nuts. Use yeah. these to fill your worlds out. I agree. Um, yeah, I I kind of gave my inspiration up top, but use this as the first place you go when you're building a character. Yeah. You kind of know what the races are. You know what the classes are already. Might start guide here. You in that direction, start right? here and work your way up. Start I'm with a strong foundation. To see what the new ones look like when they start adding more of like your languages Absolutely. and things like that into them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been blessed by using D and D Beyond, so I forgot that they were even in other books. I just pull up the giant list that's and like in click there. on them. Yeah, and then I. But I. It's probably every two or three months I will just go through this list and find and review new. them as an inspiration for an NPC. There's so much good into. shit in there, right? So much. So I guess my last thought here is. It says that you can mix and match features and any other things that you want to make it make sense for your character. But when they say mix and match, they literally mean in the player's handbook, don't make up your own, but take the sailor one and put it on the acolyte if that makes sense to you because you were a traveling acolyte. That kind of shit, right? Absolutely. So, So mix and match. With this many fucking options out there, you might as well just make up your own. But remember, if it's more powerful than I know a guy, it's probably too powerful. And make sure that you get DM's approval first. But background should be the thing that supports and fleshes out your backstory. Yep. It should help you. It matches. Don't choose something that's just for stats and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. You can already take stats from any of them and mix them and match them with the background. Yeah. Like, as long as it makes sense, like, go crazy. But remember, there are so many interesting options out there. Like, anthropologist and gambler and... And so many house Interns. agents and shit. Yeah, yeah, like so many cool things out there. So that's 
that's my big thing is if you don't want to spend the money on it, just know I know a guy could just mean I have a mount. I would for me, yeah. that's an equivalent. Mm-hmm. You you don't have to spend money on a mount. You just give up your feature. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You have a mount. Congratulations. Right? Yeah. Right. If if they are going to let you get more spells or let you get a specific kind of feat or let you get a, then talk to your DM. Yeah, then get NPCs, then get a plus one item, then get a whatever. But this is your thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is what you get. Removing yeah, you don't get the rest of it. Exactly. Yeet. All right, anyway, that's all for this discussion on backgrounds in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Please take a second to engage with a like, follow, comment, and review to help push our engagement. And don't forget to subscribe to find future inspirations for your campaigns. If you'd like to support us, we have a store with some merch and a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. What are you doing again? Backgrounds. 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 Oh. Are we excited about this one? You know what? It'll be an interesting conversation. I think it's one of the most overlooked aspects of character creation. I want you to know, this has nearly been recorded about five, I, six times. Honestly, I saw this and I was shocked that it hadn't been recorded. Well, Is back- this the first time we've talked about backgrounds or has it been talked yeah. about again? No, no, before? first time. Oh, okay. It's we wild. Okay, yeah. I, I originally had it as a 13-part miniseries. Yeah. But that was going to be really short episodes, yeah. right? And then it was going to be an eight-part <clears throat> like series during just like topic on the regular podcast. Right. And then it was going to be something that Terry, I wanted to take over for a little bit to talk with, grab one of the hosts and do a six episodes on this. And then it was in the schedule and out of the schedule. So right. Here we are summing it up because... Next year, they're going to release one D&D. Yeah. Whatever it's going to be called. And this it's will all, be moot. Yeah. It's all going to be backgrounds or, or from here to the to the horizon. And it's all yeah. It's all going to be changed and different. And so we might as well fucking... Let's cover it while it's still here. Yeah. Cover it while it exists. Before it all changes. Megan, do you have the coldest of opens? I do. <clears throat> Are you surprised? No, I'm not actually. <laughs> And as if Strixhaven backgrounds aren't powerful enough, characters also get a bonus feat called Strixhaven Initiate. I don't know why I struggled with that word right now. <laughs> I'm going to redo that sentence. As if Strixhaven backgrounds aren't powerful. Powerful. Oh my god. We'll get there. I just need, just need a nap, guys. <laughs> you're, you're, you're Your one o'clock nap wasn't enough. You my, need, my, this, my you need the nine nap. o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I have to pee. I was about to sing the bluey theme because for some reason I had that in my head and said it's a mimic. Why are you still here? Leave already.